so I, I don't know how to, um, or sometimes you're sharing announcements like that involve the life of the church that you're never sure the great way to just do that. So I'm just going to do it. And there's not like a great bridge to it. So here we go. Um, last spring, I did a funeral for a family not connected to our church. And um, long story short, they came to me and they said, hey, um, we just want to say thank you so much for your help. And like, is there something we could do for you? And I said, no. And they said, is there something you could do for the church? And I said, uh, we need a new gym floor. And um, was kind of being half serious, half joking, like it's an actual need and actual conversation. And if you've paid attention to our Bridge the Gap campaign over the last three years, that's been on the list. And they looked at me and go, can we see it? Yeah, let's go for a walk. So we went and saw it. And long story short, they wrote us a pretty substantial check and covers almost the entire project. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty cool story. So here's where, like, I want to, so, so there's two asks in this today. Uh, one, um, we're going to need about twelve dollars to $15,000 more to complete everything that's going to come with it. And so if you're interested or able to give to that, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Or just continue your faithful giving tithes and offerings, and we'll figure out a way to, to make sure that the project gets done. Here's the second ask. You're like, well, I don't know if we can give, but here's what you can do. Next Sunday, 1 o'clock, we've got to get all the carpet out of the gym because um, they're going to start next a week from Monday. Um, that's, they, they bumped up our timeline, and so we we're going to talk to you about this, actually, this week or next week anyway. Uh, the board voted on it right before I left on sabbatical, and so this is really kind of the first opportunity to talk about it. So um, it's a pretty cool project. It's going to start a week from Monday. So if you're using the rooms off the gym and that kind of stuff, or the kitchen, that might all get kind of squashed for a few days, but we'll figure it all out. Um, but, but in a few weeks, the gym will be remodeled, or at least part of it, and then some of the guys are helping leading the renovation for the walls and some other stuff in the room. So it should be a very cool project when it's all said and done, but we're just thankful for, for God's faithfulness and others' generosity because um, these people are not connected to our church, really not any church in our community, but their loved one who passed away was, a, was an athlete when they were younger and thought, how cool would it be to be part of gym renovation? So they asked to be nameless, since they will be, but just wanted you to know about that project and, and be a part if you would like to be in some way. So um, I have no great transition from that, by the way, to sermon. Um, other than say, like, I was at a crossroads in that moment of how to shift and didn't do a very good job. Which leads us, though, to this idea of maybe you have noticed or maybe you have watched movies or read books where there's kind of this scene that always happens in lots of them where the main character gets to an intersection, right? And whether it's in a car, walking, they get to this intersection and it's like a four-way cross. Usually it's like in the Midwest because there's like cornfields where the corn's really low. Or like bean fields, whatever it is. Like it's some kind of farmland. And you're looking out and it's often like after they've harvested, so it's kind of barren ground, but there's no snow, right? It's that, that same scene in all these movies that pop in my head. And, and they get to this intersection and they have a choice to make. They can choose to go back where they came from. And they can go back to the moment where they've left, right? It's safe. They know what it is. But it maybe hasn't been great. Like that's why they left there. Or... There's the promise of what could be. And they're at that intersection. They have a decision to make. Do I go what could be or do I, do I go back to what I already know? It's a decision point in their life. It's this crossroads moment. And the truth is, we all have those moments. These crossroads moments in our lives where we get to decide which direction am I going to go. It happens maybe when we're young. Like, it's right, am I, am I going to go to college or just get a job? And then what job am I going to take? Or what major am I going to have in school? Or am I going to ask that person to marry me? Or am I going to stay in this relationship? Or where am I going to have lunch? Some of you are already thinking about that. I get it. Bear with us a few more minutes. 
Right, but these decisions that we all have, these moments where we're going to trying to decide what direction am I going to go, what turn am I going to make, but each of them have consequences. And the reality is, we often want to stay with what we know because we think we know what that's going to be like. But we really usually have no idea what the consequences of our decisions are unless you choose Indian food for lunch. Then you do know. Don't do it. But we don't know what the consequences of our decisions are going to be, and so we don't know what path to choose. But here's what most of us do. Most of us choose the path of least resistance. It's easier to stay with what we know, to go back with what we've experienced. Even if it's bad, at least we know it. Even if it's been destructive in our past or it's something we've experienced, like, at least I know what I'm going to get. That's so why often, like, if we've had dysfunctional things in our family, we pass them on from generation to generation, not because we want to, but because we know it. And to break the cycle of whatever that might be is going to require a step out in faith, a, a crossroads moment where we go a different direction. But here's why for most of us, like don't feel bad, like at some level if you've stayed or you've gone back, because most of us do it for one of two reasons. We do it because we're scared, we're afraid, but here's what we're afraid of. That it might hurt, right? So we respond out of fear of the pain we might experience, or we go back to something because it feels good. Right? So we respond out of pain or pleasure. Right? These are the two things that kind of drive our decision-making or our behavior. We pick one of them. Right? Either I'm so afraid of what this is, and so often we don't change anything in our lives until I'm more afraid of what happens if I don't. And so we're going to be looking at this question because all throughout the scriptures we find there's this kind of common theme, this common narrative, this story that runs over and over again. It's people have an encounter with God, and then they have a decision to make. Will they choose to take a step towards him in faith, or will they stay or go back to what they already know? And so we'll be looking at the story of God's people, this pilgrimage of his people all throughout the scriptures, and what we find is this. We begin to look at today the, the story of a guy named Abraham. And so, by the way, he's, he become, he's Abram, he becomes Abraham. Just for our own sake today, we'll just call him Abraham the whole time because that's what we know him as, right? So bear with me on that. But Abraham is the, considered the father of three world religions, by the way. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism because he stepped out in faith and it set a trajectory really that's impacted the whole world. But Abraham finds this moment, he's called by God and he's invited in to be a part of a unique people, a radically new people, a people that have not existed before. And Abraham's invited to step out and go on this journey. In fact, he's invited to leave like a, a place that we probably have heard of in the ancient world, like Babylon, right? And so he goes on this massive journey that covers most of the Middle East. In fact, we have a map that shows you Abraham's journey. And so you see he starts in Ur, and then he goes to Babylon with his family. And then he leaves his family from there and goes on. And he goes on this journey that goes through Egypt and back. And he goes through what's now modern-day Israel. And he goes on this massive journey. But it all starts with one decision. He's going to leave what he knows. Step out in faith. He's at a crossroads moment with his encounter with God. And will you step out in faith and go a place you have not gone? Right? And so Abraham goes from this person who knows a particular city in a particular place. It's easy. He knows it. And he leaves it. In fact, there's a scene we see in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Did you catch that? Abraham is asked to leave what he knows to go to a place he has no idea anything about. To leave the safety and the security of what he has known, to leave his family, right? To walk away from everything. And God makes some promises in this. He says, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. I will make you a great people. But this great thing on the other side doesn't happen unless you walk away from what you know. So Abraham's at this crossroads. Am I going to choose to go in the way of this God has called me to go, or am I going to stay where I am? And here's the crazy thing about Abraham, what he's also choosing to leave. So Abraham lives in a place and a time where you worship many gods. And so not only is he choosing to leave the, the religion he knows, right, because he worshiped many gods, now he's choosing to say, okay, there, there might be gods, lowercase g, but there's only one God who is above all things, and so God's saying to him, will you follow me as the only God that exists, as the God of all gods? I am the one, I'm it. Will you follow me or not? So he's got to leave his religion. He's got to leave his family. Right? By the way, he's saying, will you leave um, a city that you know and go wandering in the wilderness to a place that I will eventually show you and live in tents? I like running water. I like that they pick up my trash. I like that those things happen. I don't know about you. We leave all that and go live in the wilderness. And trust me. Honestly, so far, not super appealing to me, right? And so what we begin to find is this. He, he takes off and he goes. And not only does he leave these things, right? We see this in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Why are you telling us? You just told us that they worship other gods. But, but here's what you may or may not know. Jewish tradition says that Terah, Abraham's father, was an idol maker. And so not only is he leaving his religion, but he's leaving his economic support. So he's walking away from money, faith, and security of his family. And he's trusting that God is who he says he is. He's trusting that God will fulfill what he's actually promised. That right? We often will say, God, God says to Abraham, which God still wants to say to you and I, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. By the way, that doesn't mean you're going to get more money. But he has promised to be with you in the middle of whatever you experience. That is still true today. God wants to bless you and I so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. That's the promise he makes Abraham. 
So Abraham leaves everything he knows, economic support, his family system and structure. By the way, for some of us, that might be one of the hardest things for us to walk away from, but it may be one of the best things we've ever done. Because we don't quit loving people, but sometimes we recognize that the systems we are living in, when we're honest, we step back and look, we go, they're just leading to more destruction, and I've got to find a new way to live. And so Abraham takes off. In fact, we begin to know, and sometimes I think it's, it's easy for us to think about um, the idea that, that these people in the Bible are just like characters and stories, and they're not real. Um, so there's a place in the city of Dan, which does talk about that Abraham goes through, and so there's what's called Abraham's Gate, which does exist, was there a few months ago, and this is a place that's over 4,000 years old that Abraham would have had to have walked through when he entered into the promised land through the city of Dan. It still exists. You can't really go touch it because like, they kind of frown on that. It is 4,000 years old. But you can look at it. As he would have walked through that gate because in his faithfulness to God to enter into a place, into a people, he begins to see that God calls us, calls real people to do real things in real time. And who would have thought, I guarantee you Abraham never thought that 4,000 years later people would be talking about him and his entering into a particular place and trusting God. Can you imagine people talking about you and I 4,000 years later just because we are faithful to God? But that's the story of Abraham because he's faithful to who God has called him to be. And he begins to take all these moments, leaving the things that he has known behind, and he's called to surrender these things, his past, and step into a different future. The unknown. And for most of us, that's paralyzing. The idea that we'd step into what we don't know, that we wouldn't have control over it, that we wouldn't know what to do, what it looks like, we don't know what's coming. But, but have you noticed how sometimes, maybe you've experienced this, I know, especially when I worked in student ministry, it happened all the time with teenagers, they would have this incredible moment with God. Right? Experiential, they would sense his presence, they would know him and be like this, uh, I, I just want to follow him my whole life. And then something would happen and fear would come up in some new kind of way. Or maybe in your own life, it's looked like this, right? Like, God's so great, and then the, but there's the real world. And so God doesn't work like that in the real world. Maybe. Or maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's part of the problem for us, is we think the real world exists beyond God's kingdom, and we recognize we live as a citizen of the wrong one sometimes. But there is a great moment of fear, and then Abraham, he takes off, and, and there's a famine, Happened in the ancient world, right? People didn't have, always have food. That's not that's a thing we don't really experience much here. But, but there was a famine, and so Abraham and Sarah, they set off towards Egypt. And then Abraham does something, right? He's taking steps forward, massive steps forward in his faith. But when he begins to get to Egypt, he kind of takes a step backward in his faith. Maybe that's been true in your life. You take a couple great, great steps back, great steps forward, and then you know you take a step back. Or maybe sometimes it's been three steps back and two steps forward, right? Whatever it might be, but Abraham's no different, right? He takes all these steps forward. He leaves his family, leaves his homeland, goes off on a journey. Incredible story. But as he's getting to Egypt, he's kind of afraid. So you'll notice this fear kind of runs rampant in Abraham's life all throughout. These moments of great faith and great fear. And he's getting there. He says to his wife, hey, um, Sarah, so when we get here, you're a pretty attractive woman, and Pharaoh might be attracted to you, and because I don't want to die— um, how about you just tell him you're my sister? Is that okay with you? And he does. And Pharaoh takes her to her house. And you're like, wait a minute. By the way, this is a terrible idea. Husband's in the room. Um, don't ever do this, right? This is not a good idea. But he's afraid. And so he does this thing. And then, and long story short, um, God's like, what in the world are you doing? Steps forward, big step back. And then again, Abraham has begins to take some steps forward. And so Abraham's nephew Lot went with him and 
And they get to this place, and then God, and they kind of keep expanding as a community, and they have more animals, and, and the ground that they're living in, like this, this space doesn't really, it doesn't work for everybody. It's just not big enough. So Abram and Lot, they look out over the valley, and they go, okay, we can each go one of two directions, right? There's this place over here near the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's like fertile land, and it's near a city, which sounds great right now, right? Um, or there's like the not quite as fertile, kind of more, more wooded and farmland, and not, not, not so great. And uh, Lot looks at Abraham and goes, well, I'll take the good one. And Abraham goes, it's fine. I trust God will bless, bless wherever I go. It's fine. I'll go there. And they split. Then Lot finds himself in the middle of a war. Abraham comes and rescues him. And then there's a really cool scene at the end of this war where some of the kings come and they were with Abraham. And the king of Sodom says to Abraham, hey, uh, why don't you keep some of this stuff? And he goes, nope. Because I don't want anyone to ever say that you're who blessed me. I want it to always be known that it was God who blessed me. So I, I don't need your stuff. In fact, there's another cool scene in this, this story, and we could talk about it another day, we will, where there's this guy named Melchizedek, who's a priest and a king. He's the priest of the Lord, who comes to Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he has. By the way, that's where tithing kind of begins in the scriptures. That's why many of us still practice that today as a way of God's people. And he gives it to the priest, and he says, um, here, take this. And the priest then blesses Abraham. This is such a cool moment, by the way, because Abraham the father of the people of God, the father of Israel, right? He is blessed. So to bless someone, you have to, someone will be greater than them. So Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and he blesses Abraham. And that kind of fast forwards a really cool story, a priest and king, right? Talk about Jesus. That's a whole long thing. I'd love to spend more time, but you'll be really mad at me if I keep talking about it for a really long time. But he's blessed. He's given all these things away and God continues to bless him. Massive steps forward. And then he has this another encounter with God. Here's what we find in chapter 15. These are the words of the Lord to Abram. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness in the scriptures is known as to be in right relationship with God. And so Abraham's belief put him in right relationship with God. And so we begin to see in this is this kind of this picture of Abraham keeps moving in the right direction. And then we see in chapter 16 um, a pretty big step back. God's promise to be faithful. God's promise that his offspring be greater than the sand is on the seashore. But he doesn't have any kids. He's, he's an old man. His wife's old. And so his wife plots and says, hey, I think we've got a solution to this, Abraham. I think I know how God wants us to work in this. Here's what I want you to do. See Hagar, my maidservant. Uh, I want you to sleep with her. And then those will be our kids. How's that sound? And Abraham says, okay. She has a kid. By the way, are you shocked to find out that Sarah gets angry about this? What? I mean, hopefully you didn't watch it, but like if there was a, a show that used to be on television called The Jerry Springer Show, this is like straight out of The Jerry Springer Show. If you don't know what it is, good for you, right? It was just like daytime drama stuff. So um, 
But this is straight out of that scene, right? So Sarah's mad at Abraham. She's mad at Hagar. Hagar doesn't, is dismissive of Sarah because she's like, I had a kid. You didn't. I mean, yeah, it's a whole big mess. Again, three steps forward, giant step back. See, one of the challenges for us in our crossroads of faith is sometimes we have to remember that we continually have to make a decision to which way we're going to go. We might start taking 10 steps to the right direction and then decide about step 10, like, you know what, I think we'll go back. And I go back two or three steps. Now, I'm still further than where I used to be. But the cool thing about God and the cool thing that he does in the life of Abraham, but he also wants to do in our lives is this. He doesn't leave us where we were. He continues to go, okay, you may have done another dumb thing, but I can redeem that dumb thing. And so Abraham is faithful to God in this. He does whatever it takes to reconcile and make right those wrongs. And you and I are called to the same thing. And so then we see this next encounter with Abraham and God, and it's this covenant moment where he says, like, Abraham, will you just trust me? And so they have this kind of agreement they come to. And in that agreement, um, we have a covenant of circumcision. Um, Major moment of faith, by the way, for Abraham and all the men in his community. But God desires to be in relationship with Abraham, and Abraham is learning that God wants to be in relationship with him. And what that means for you and I is God wants to be in relationship with us. That's the whole point of what we see in the story again and again. God wants to be in conversation with you and I. And so what happens next is Abraham is beginning to dawn on him, and God says to him, Abraham, I'm sick of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're just a mess. They're immoral. They do everything that's wrong. They do everything counter to who I want my people to be. And so they're just not going to exist anymore. And Abraham is coming to know the character of God. And he goes, God, what if there are 50 righteous people there? And God goes, okay, if there are 50 righteous people there, we, we'll, we'll spare them. And Abraham goes, God, I know you're God. I'm not. I'm just making a suggestion here. What if there's 45? God goes, okay, 45. We'll still do that. Okay, God, I, I know you said 45. What if we went to 40? He goes, okay, Abraham. Because of my relationship with you, yeah, we'll go to 40. He says, okay, God, I, I don't mean to presuppose. I don't, I don't want to make you angry, but what about 30? The guy goes, okay, 30. Abraham goes, now that I got you to 30, can we go 20? He gets all the way to 10. And God says, yeah, there's 10 righteous people, Abraham. And the point is not the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The point is that God desires to be in relationship with people. And God desires to be in relationship with Abraham, and he's moved to activity by his relationship with Abraham. And God desires the same thing for you and I, for us to be in relationship with him. And then, great moment of conversation with Abraham and God. We see in chapter 20, Abraham takes another step back. In fact, he takes a step back because Abimelech is the king in the community they're going through. And so you can guess what Abraham does. He's scared again. He's got his wife again. By the way, she's really old now, and I'm just shocked at this whole story, but that's a whole other conversation. But here's the story from Genesis chapter 20. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Why were they afraid? Because Abraham again offered up his wife, saying she was my sister. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, 
This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, save me. He is my brother. By the way, ladies, if a guy ever says that to you, don't marry him. You can show your love to me if you just say you're my sister. Bad idea. What's, what's happening with Abraham here? He's just living from this place of fear again and again. God has rescued him. God has provided for him. God has led him. And yet, in those moments of doubt, in those moments when other things creep in, Abraham reverts to things that he knows. He goes back to where he came from. Even if he doesn't do it physically, he does it emotionally with his decisions in that particular place. And for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, fear is what drives our life. Abraham is concerned for his family, for his future, for his preservation. He wants to preserve these things. It's right. So fear, fear for us, right? We, we might be so scared, and we do a couple things, right? We, we lock our doors, or we're going to, it's one way. You know, I'm not saying don't do these things, but we, we just are so afraid of our, we're protecting ourselves. We're so afraid of everything. Or we're the opposite, right? Fear takes these weird forms in our lives. Fear is all kinds of things. Fear can grip us in kinds of ways we never imagined. Fear becomes what we, we just go back to what we know. Or we're so worried about losing something, or even someone, that fear can drive us. It's why the singular command we find all throughout the scriptures to Abraham multiple times is this. Do not be afraid. We don't want to live from fear, but we want to live from love. And that's a radically different thing. To live from the love that we find in Jesus is transformative. To live in fear is destructive. So we begin to find this in chapter 21, when Abraham was 100 years old. And Sarah well past the years of child-rearing. They have a kid. And name him Isaac, which means laughter. And there's a story in there you can read about that. So God's timing is so different than any of us could ever imagine. 100-year-old people don't have kids. They shouldn't. It's exhausting. But God's faithfulness and his timing is radically different than often ours. And so Abraham has what he's always dreamed of, and he has a son. And there's this moment where God's asking him, will you trust me with everything, including your son? That's what God wants to know. Will we trust him with everything, including our sons and our daughters, our work and our future? Right? And, and i got to be honest with you. Uh, it's a weird story where it seems like God wants him to sacrifice his son. I don't think that's probably really the reality, because otherwise that, that would be the weird character of God. In fact, what we find in the scriptures is the opposite, because the people of God bought into the, the gods of Molech, and they were sacrificing children, and God said that was the most detestable thing that existed. But what did, does God want to know? He says, Abraham, do, you, do I have all of you? In fact, I love these words of Brian Zahn. He says this, Abraham gained the revelation that contrary to the assumption of the age, God does not want human sacrifice. If Abraham is the father of monotheism, he is also the father of the abolition of human sacrifice. What we see in the fullness of Jesus that we only get glimpses of throughout the Old Testament is the character of God. And the character of God values all people in all places and all circumstances. And all lives matter to him. This is the reality we find all throughout the scriptures. And so Abraham begins to have this understanding. But what God does want to know from Abraham and from you and I is this. Will we trust everything to him? Will we trust everything in our lives, like our work, our wallet, our home, our family, our friends? Will we trust all these things to him or not? And if we begin to recognize that we put him in his proper perspective, if Jesus really is Lord, if God really is over all things and in our own lives, then everything else in life has its proper place. The problem for Abraham and for us is we can say the right thing and do the wrong one. 
We can say, God, you are the most important thing in my life, except when the Lions play at noon. Then if you want something from me, I don't know, Lions don't play at noon, I can say that today. Um, next week they might, I don't know, right? Anyway, one o'clock, carpet, next week. Um, it's a pretty good plug right there, by the way. But he does want to know, will we put everything in its proper perspective? This thing how... Um, the challenge for you and I is probably greater, or is not greater than the challenge of Abraham. The challenge of Abraham, Abraham had to leave everything he knew. He had to walk away from what he'd known. Right? We have 2,000 years of church history. We have the scriptures. We have local churches. We have the story of God's people throughout time. Abraham didn't have any of those things, but he still had an encounter with God where he was stepping out in faith. That at the crossroads, in a pivotal moment in his life, he chose God above all else. And you and I are invited to make that same decision Right? In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us these words from chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was looking for Jesus. He was looking for God's kingdom where Jesus is the architect and the builder of the city of God. It's not a building that you're going to go find anywhere. But it is the transformative work of God in our lives and in the world seen in the resurrection of Jesus. And he was invited at the crossroads to make a decision to step out in faith and to follow after God. And here's the reality. For some of us, we have to walk away from certain things, right? Sometimes it really is things in our family past or in our life to walk forward to God. Right? Here's one of the realities for us. I begin to think about how, how for us in terms of our faith, um, man, we, we all have the past. And sometimes our past defines us in ways we wish it didn't. And sometimes we carry baggage and weight from our past and we don't let it go and it drags us down and it burdens us and it's this heavy weight we can't, and it's oppressive. But, but here's one of the most beautiful things that happens when we choose to follow after Jesus. Our past does not be the thing that defines our reality. In fact, when we follow Jesus, when we place our faith in Jesus, it is our future that impacts our present. We're living to what we're longing for, not to what we have left behind. So what that means is this. We get to live as the people of the already but not yet kingdom of God. What we're saying is this. In the resurrection of Jesus where he finds new life, he invites us to this new life here and now, regardless of our past. So we live as if heaven is a present reality in this day, in this life, not just a future reality. And we don't worry about the hells that we have experienced. We live into the kingdom of heaven here and now. This is what Jesus says all throughout the Gospels. You and I, if we choose to follow after Jesus, can let our future desires to live as a part of his new creation impact our present and not our past. Even though our past decisions may have brought us where we are today, it is our present decision that can be defined by our future. Why does that matter? Because sometimes we don't recognize the things we need to take a next step towards mean leaving something behind. So this summer when my son and I were traveling, um, we this day where this woman, she came and apologized and told me the story. We were at, at some place, I don't know, and we were talking about idols, you know, stuff made by human hands. And, 
And my son says to her, um, it was an Australian family, she had an awesome accent. I could just talk to their family all day. It was really cool. Um, but she just says, like, I said to your son, I hope it was okay. I don't mean to step on toes. You know, I'm not his parent. And I, I just said to him, um, we have idols today too. They're just not made of stones. And I'm like, that's all you said? She's like, yeah, that's it. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, you don't need to apologize. I agree with you. We're on the same page. Um, and, and so, by the way, I, I'm going to owe him $5 after this story. He doesn't know what's coming, so I owe him for the story. <laughs> it's worth it. It's good. So every time we get back on a bus, he would take out, like, a Kindle or a Nintendo Switch, and he'd play on it. And, I mean, like, it might be, like, three minutes on the bus. Like, we're getting off. Like, right. he, he also didn't know where we were going ever, so that's, that's on me, too. So I said, man, he... You're right. Um, when so-and-so talked to you about the idols, he's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, that's your idol. It's in your hand right now. He didn't really love that conversation, by the way. But what was incredibly cool was the next, that night or the next morning, I don't remember which one, he goes, Dad, you're right. This is an idol for me. Like I said, great story. But here's why I tell that story, because some of you, your idol's in your hand right now, too. Or your idol lives in the house with you. Or your idol is the place that writes your paycheck. Or your idol is what comes on at noon. It's some sport somewhere, whatever it might be. Right? We can say all day long, God, you are the most important thing, but where we put our time and our energy and where our brain and our mind goes, that's what we love. I can give lip service all day long to these things don't matter to me. Right? By the way, I, I, like my son also, like at one point, go home and goes, Dad, remember that conversation about idol? I was on my phone. He goes... Sorry, you're right, got me. Right, if, if things are tools for the right things, cool. But when they become the things that drive our lives, they're no longer us stepping out in faith, they're us going back to what we already know. They're the safety and security of what we can hold on to. They're the things that we think we have control over, and that's why they destroy us more than anything out there. You and I are at a crossroads in our faith pretty much every day. Are we going to choose to walk in obedience to God's love and follow after him? Or are we going to choose to go the other direction? Right, so each of us, here's the challenge. Will we take the right next step? And for some of us, the right next step might be like, I just want to choose to follow Jesus for the first time. I've never made that decision, but I, like, if God really loves me as much as you guys say he does, if, if that's really true, if Jesus really died for me so that I can know the fullness of forgiveness and love and live as a new creation and my past can be my past and I can come to know the fullness of his love here and now, I'm in. Maybe that's the next step for you today. Just say yes to Jesus. Forgive me, and I'm yours. Maybe today, like you've done that a long time ago, and you're like, yeah, but I've kind of been, kind of been lazy in my faith. I haven't really done anything with it. I believe that. But I just, it doesn't impact how I live. Well, maybe you need to take a tangible step. Maybe you need to like pray 10 minutes a day. Maybe you need to read the scriptures. Maybe this summer we looked at the book of James. Maybe you need to read that book of James. It's a great place to start. Maybe you need to serve. I, I don't know what the next step is, but here's the challenge. Whatever the next step is, take a next step in your faith. You and I both, each of us are at a crossroads every single day. We get to make a decision to take a step forward, but maybe you feel like, yeah, I've took a bunch of steps forward at one point, but I've just taken so many back. So did Abraham. And we're still talking about him 4,000 years later. So maybe today, if you've been taking steps back, maybe today is the day you begin to take a step forward. And so this morning, in just a moment, the praise team's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. 
And we're going to open the altar, and you're going to come and kneel and pray. You come to my right, your left. We will leave you alone. You come to my left, your right. Someone will come and pray with you. But here's one of the crazy things about the way God works, is sometimes we need to take a physical step in our faith. An actual step. We need to actually walk forward and go, God, I am in with you. I am at a crossroads and I am choosing you. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe it's the hundredth time. Whatever it might be. If today you feel like there's something that you need to step toward. If you need to say yes to God in some way in your life, I would invite you to come and kneel at the altar and just pray. It's just taking a physical step, a tangible expression of God's love. Seeing that you're saying, God, I believe you are real. I believe you exist. I believe you are calling me to something different than I have been living. And I want to step into that. And there is nothing uniquely special about wood and a kneeling bench. But we do think, think there is something sacred and holy because God meets us there. And sometimes we just need to take a step in faith to say yes to him. And so this morning, as I pray and as we sing, if there's just something you want to leave at the altar and you want to come and kneel, or you just want to take a step to him, know that he is inviting you to come, that he loves you and he longs to enter into the kind of relationship with you like he had with Abraham. And you and I are invited to be God's unique people. He desires to bless us, to be a blessing to the world. And so maybe today is a crossroads moment in your life, and you can choose to turn towards him. Father, will you help us this morning as we continue in these moments together? We'd ask today that you would help us to be the unique people you have called us to be, that in these moments we would commit ourselves to you. And maybe, just maybe, if there's someone in the room today who is wrestling with taking a step to you, they'd be willing to step forward in faith and trust that you meet us where we are. And so, Father, we ask today that you might help us to be your divine reflection in the world around us, that you would help us to live from your love in a way that would change everything. And so, Father, today... We ask that we would surrender all things to you. If there are things in our life that were functioning as if they are more important than you, that we would let them go. That we would recognize that by putting you first, that everything else in life ends up in its proper perspective. And so, Father, will you help us to surrender, to take a next step, to live from your love. Pray this in Jesus' name.